Hi, and welcome to Paperback Readers. Joe, that's Julie, and along for the ride, our friend, literary confidant, good pal, and the source of at least one of the books on my list, our buddy Haley is joining us today. Haley, glad wow, to have I'm you so here. excited. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's that time, end of the year time, time to talk about favorite books. And, you know, we, uh, we're glad to have you in to join in that conversation. I know we were talking just before we went on there's some overlap surprise surprise between our 10 favorite books of the year so uh we'll we'll try to get through that you won't hear about 30 books because we picked some of the same ones but in any case and we're so glad to have Haley so that you get to hear something we haven't already talked about exactly <laughs> exactly well thank like, you for having me I'm excited to be here you just talk about <laughs> yours and we'll fall in but uh, I, I'm gonna <laughs> I drew the short straw so I'm gonna start us out so I was gonna uh, say hang on this is Haley's second time with us and she has always been recommending books for us and she has an amazing Instagram where she mm-hmm. also recommends books for everybody so it's at read anyways I know some of you all have followed her and if you have not you need to do it Okay, now that was, I just thank you, Julie. Second, everything said. All right, these are in no particular order. I'm going to dive in. This one has a subtitle, but I didn't write it because it's on Julie's list, too. Spoiler. Uh, And we just talked about it Pappy Land by Wright Thompson, uh, a book about about, uh, bourbon and Kentucky and life and all kinds of craziness. Uh, It was a favorite. I take some of the credit because I've stumbled onto this one through his sports book, but Julie's the one who read it and said, you got to do it. So I did. Okay. Uh, my first one I want to talk about is called Stealing by Margaret Verbal. I read it at the early last year. It is about a young girl who is um, Native American and she is stolen um, to go into the um the school, the boarding school that's close to her family. She spends like half her time there and half her time at home. And it is written. I think Margaret Verbal is a Kentucky author. I think she lives in Lexington. Um, And it's pretty short. And I just remember it being really impactful because I don't usually love uh, like a young person narrator. It's definitely like an adult book, but it has that young person voice. And so that's, that's number 10 on my list. If we're ranking them, I would say that. <laughs> uh, that sounds so good. I love a Kentucky author. And then I love, you know, of course, Pappy Land was an honorable mention for me after it and at the end, because I love it so much. And so two Kentucky based books right off of that. This one for me, my first one is not a Kentucky based book. It has nothing to do with Kentucky at all. It's called Georgie all along. And it's by Kate Claiborne. And um, she's just an automatic romance writer for me. The older I get, the more romance books I read. And I don't know, that seems really weird to me. It seems like it should go a different direction. But um, I like her stories because they're not fluffy. And the people usually feel really, really weird. And I always really like her characters. And Georgie may be my favorite of her characters because she is just so, to use a word from the book, she's so expansive. And she's so completely Mm. herself, even when she doesn't feel good about being herself. And I admire that. So. Well, I will segue from that into my second choice, which was a nonfiction account of someone who's similarly very much himself. Going Infinite, The Rise and Fall of a New Tycoon by he Michael He is nothing Lewis. like Georgie. Sam Bankman <laughs> Reed, the crypto uh, wonderkind, genius, lunatic, criminal, mastermind, whatever. You fill it in. Uh, I love Lewis's writing. I love the way that he makes 
the unclear clear and he does some of that with crypto although he never really does tell you exactly what crypto is so uh but he does mention something else that does that but a fascinating read just something i i didn't know much about and i came out of it feeling like i'd met a completely crazy brilliant lunatic of a guy and enjoyed it anyway have you read anything about michael lewis i don't think so it's, it's different. He's such a good author, but he writes about such wild things. I almost didn't read this book. And it was really good. He's kind of written like across the spectrum, I feel like. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of financial list. books, but then he's the guy who wrote Moneyball and kind of started that whole thing. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, he, he's fun. But anyway, tell, tell me something else I need to read. Here. Okay. Well, this is, sounds like, uh, we, it, it is a weird book. It's called The Last Animal, and it is about a uh, mother and her two daughters who have just lost the father of their family. And the mother is a researcher, and they are trying to bring back a woolly mammoth to life. <laughs> it, it sounds so weird, and it was weird. And it's by uh, Ramona Ossible. Julie, you may have read her other book, and I am blanking on the title, but she is like a literary fiction author. Um, and it, it took me a couple tries to get into it. But once I got into the story, it was just so strange. But it was really a family story about grief because they had just lost the patriarch of their family. They, the two daughters are sort of like um, middle grade. One of them is, is a t almost a teenager. And they their mother is trying to still do her own research. Um, mm. And then, yeah, I won't spoil it for you if they succeed in bringing the woolly mammoth back to life or not but um it is it was just so strange and um i really loved it so that was the last animal that sounds amazing it was so weird that. and so good <laughs> i think i think 2024 needs to be my year of weird books i that okay. maybe that can start my list i love it i love it <laughs> all right my next one is the sweet spot by amy papel i think i've read just about everything she's written by now this you almost made my list yes this would be an honorable mention for me yes a good you can tell me what you liked about it too i just it's a new york story the characters were so weird and so fun and just absolutely lovable all the way through and i like just the redemptive arc of the story too i just thought that was really cool the themes of grace and forgiveness all through it and for there to be so many characters they all have so much depth and like specificness yeah. And I, I love the setting and just her like sarcasm and wit that she writes into all of her stories or well, into, into that book um, is really good. So, yeah, this is her latest one. It's my favorite of, her, of all of her. It's, so it's the only one I've read of her. So now I'll have to go back and read her backlist. <laughs> well, right, you're up, Joe. I'm going to continue the uh, trend of strange books. And this was one that, uh, Haley, this is uh, definitely a contribution. You were the one who said, you should check this oh, out. And I thought that sounds different. And it was, but I couldn't put it down. If Fever in the Heartland, the Ku Klux Klan's plot to take over America and the woman who stopped them by Timothy Egan. Um, you know, I like history, but I tend to read a lot of history books about things I already know something about. So this was a departure from that. It was a corner of time that I didn't know much about. And that made it fascinating. And uh, what a great, wonderful, bizarre storytelling book it is. I mean, it would hook you just for the story, aside from the intrinsic historical value of a time when 
people were being crazy, weird extremists about things for no apparent reason. I'm sure none of that would ever happen today <laughs> or anything. But no, I really enjoyed that. And, and it, it made my list. So that says plenty. Well, I am honored to have made your list, and it was not a book about a president, so that makes me very happy. <laughs> I'll have to work on another book to make your 2024 list. So, uh, Okay, speaking of nonfiction, this next one is called The Escape Artist, and it has a subtitle, but I don't I don't remember what it was. It's something to the effect of um, like the first person who escaped from Auschwitz and tried to warn the world. Mm -hmm. So it is also this incredible story about this man who was in Auschwitz, I feel like fairly early on um, and escaped. And he like tried to get the word out of what, what was going on. And it was really hard for him to get people to believe him, like the horrors that he had been witnessing. And it just, it was riveting. Um, and it really stuck with me. I think I listened to it on audio and um, the author is Jonathan Friedland, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. So that was that was a really good. Uh, non I only have two nonfiction on my list, but that that one was one of them. The Escape Artist. Yeah, that sounds really powerful. There are some people I work with who have been like going straight through all the World War Two Holocaust mm. fiction. That sounds like something that they would really like too. And it's a he is was a Jewish person, and so I think the I think the author might also be Jewish. Um, hmm. And I have another book on my list that is fiction about World War II. And I'm not usually a World War II like history person. But anyways, we will get to that. That sounds awesome. All right. My next one is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. I know Joe has it on his list. You do too. It's right? honorable mention yes. on my list. So. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, Y'all can talk about it as well. I picked it up because so many people said it was you know, written in honor of little women. And I thought, well, I thought that was a cute book when I was a kid. This is not a cute book. This is a fabulous book. It's so deep. It takes that story um, and just kind of plays off it in a million different directions. Y'all take it away. What else did you like about it? The writing was so exceptional. Mm -hmm. I feel like this, it like came at a perfect time in her writing career, I think, for her to write it because mm -hmm. she had like honed all of her skills. I mean, I just loved all of the characters. It was like, you know, your typical messy family drama, but it was like elevated messy family drama. Mm -hmm. Um and I feel like we all three love Chicago and it took place in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, had elements of art and creativity and sibling relationships. So yes, definitely definitely one of the best that one was on my list too yeah yeah great book enjoyed every minute and uh yeah i i've it was probably number 11 i mean i i've got my 10 and i picked two honorable mentions so it was it's one of those two and uh if if i could have just punted one of the others i would have but uh <laughs> i, I kind of turned your pattern on its head Haley. i i uh it's not unusual for me to do a lot of nonfiction and I did this time, mm -hmm. but the, the other thing that was weird is there are two sports books on this list and that mm. is possibly the lowest number since I started making a list. And it's just, I read some strange and unusual things and one of the sports books, this would not have been something I ever expected, but I was curious about it and I started listening to it as an audio book and I was just hooked. 
uh, sum it up, 1,098 victories, a couple of irrelevant losses, and a life in perspective by Pat Summit, the late Pat Summit's autobiography. Um, just was not somebody who was on my radar. I mean, I, I know the vagaries of women's college basketball, but I just thought, well, let, let's check this out. Let's get some of her story. And it's such a great memoir because – it's, it's amazing to me how far women's sports have come in such a short time. I mean, she mm. tells stories about getting that Tennessee basketball job in the seventies as a 21 year old college graduate who was paid like $1,500 given uh, free classes toward her graduate degree. And wow. she had to wash the players uniforms as part of the job. Oh my gosh. And, and you go forward 20 years and you've got, you know, them playing in a, in a 20,000 seat arena that sells out, uh, you know, the the world just has, has changed so radically so quickly in that. And it was a great story for that, but then it was also a great story because she wrote this with help once she'd already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which is what Mm. took her way too young. Mm. And the, the, the having to step down and retire, having to cut her life back in anticipation of not being at the top of her game uh, was really poignant, was sometimes hard to read, but it was just engrossing. I I'd expect it to be a book I was kind of ho-hum about, but here it is. It's on my top 10. So Sky Point to Pat what? Summit. Well done. Did that come out this year? No, no, no. It, it's some oh, okay. years old. I mean, she okay. she wrote it a few years before she passed, she did it with mm-hmm. Sally Jenkins, who's a really great uh, women's mm-hmm. basketball writer. And I think Sally kind of helped shepherd it across the finish line as she got to the point mm-hmm. where she really couldn't do it anymore. Uh, but phenomenal. You know, I am not a big women's basketball follower, but I can picture her face in my head. Like that's how I feel like widely recognizable yeah. Pat yeah. Summit is. So sure. that sounds like I'm going to have to put that on my list. So. <laughs> Okay, um, let's see. My next one, I will talk about the Rachel incident. Did you read this, Julie? Mm-mm, but I heard everybody talking about it. Okay, it was one of those where I was like, this cannot be as good as everyone is saying because it has just way too much hype. But it was really, really, really good. And it's about two um, friends who live in Ireland. I think in the 90s, the economy is really bad. They both work in a bookstore and they're sort of in their 20s, like figuring out who they are, trying to pay their bills. It's like just enough angsty, but not like annoying angsty. And um, yeah, I won't say much more about that. There's a little bit of a romance element and it just has really smart writing. Um, I remember it being not like a mystery, but there's a little bit of a mystery element in it. And it was, it was definitely worth the hype. The Rachel incident by Caroline O'Donohue. I had wondered about it, but I just never picked it up. So it's another one I'm going to look for this year. All right. My next one is um, romantic comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. I was never a huge Curtis Sittenfeld fan until this book. And I really, really did like this one. It's exactly what it says it is. It's just romantic comedy. Um, It was super funny. I really liked that as, it was set um, at least partially during the pandemic. And then that part was told in letters. I heard a lot of people complain about that. I thought it was, I don't know. I found it really mm-hmm. um, just interesting to see another person's perspective and to see, 
the reminders don't bother me. Lots of people said COVID is just still too new. I couldn't read all of this because mm. this is a pivotal point of the book. But um, I thought it was really fun, really interesting, and um, really real in a way that a book called Romantic Comedy probably shouldn't have been. So. Mm. Well, I'm going to follow your cue by talking about another book with some pandemic overtones and um, following your cue and also taking one straight off your list, Julie, because I know it's on there. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tom Lake and Patchett, uh, you know, we, we talked about this at length, but uh, it meant something to me to have a pandemic novel because it's not really a pandemic novel. It isn't, it isn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's about the past, but it happens during the pandemic, but it was, it was refreshing to read a novel that took place in the pandemic and still sought to find the good in it, because that's, that's really probably my predominant memory of it, of being like, okay, we're here and we're going to be here for a while. What are we going to do? How are we going to find quality in this weird world and, and that part of the book resonated with me and then of course the story that the the main character tells is brilliant uh you know if, if i wasn't already in i was there so yeah and patchett just went and big fat did it again hey Ann patchett like is a genius did you read yes, this one too? I did. And she is not a mother. Like she has written many essays right. about how she chose not to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And the way she writes about mother-daughter relationships is just, it just shows like the depth of her imagination and how she just can read people. And I loved that part of it. I, I loved the fact that it was like a happy pandemic book because you know, that was some people's experience that they mm -hmm. got to have their college kids home from college and unexpectedly. And um, I, I haven't read the play, but now I feel like I am obligated to since, since um, our town was so heavily like influenced. I feel like it was like a love letter to that play, even though I've never read the play. So yes, I liked that one a lot. And that's one of my favorite things about any Ann Padgett novel is how many different things she has going on at one time in any story. Mm -hmm. When we finished it, Joe, you gave it to your dad. And when we went to his house, he had it out. And he was like, that woman knows that play. <laughs> um, <laughs> just the number of things that stand out about it to different people. I just thought Tom Lake was a masterpiece. Mm, yes. Yeah. Am I next? You are. Okay. Um, let's see. I will do the next one. Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. Um. This is a like 600 page. It's kind of intimidating because her writing style is very like she writes very long sentences and it is about um, this gardening group in New Zealand and they are sort of like a rebellious gardening group. They like plant vegetables on the side of the road, like on the side of the highway or like large plots of land. They're sort of like trying to be, um, against global warming and like activists and activist group. Well, the, so that's going on. And then there is this billionaire tech American who buys this huge plot of land and these two groups of people interact. And it is just such a like odd premise, but it was such a page turner. The ending, I will never forget the ending. I was like, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> um, it was like very Shakespearean. And the, the title, 
the title is from a Shakespeare play. Um, I think that the author is just very, very smart. She has another book called The Luminaries, which I haven't read and which is also like 800 pages. Um, but it was, it was so good. It was like, you know, like an Elon Musk type figure is like building this bunker in New Zealand. And then you have this activist gardening group and all of these like political questions and like what does it mean to take care of the earth what does it mean to be an activist it was really really good it was like not a light read I would say but I highly recommend it if you're if you're up for the challenge it sounds very Shakespeare and I really do want to read it now (laughs) I'm so Um, happy to be influencing you on your your growing TBR list (laughs) I've got your list and now I'm gonna yeah we have to uh, get That's online a, though, a, yes get go to the library <laughs> <laughs> all right my next one is you could make this place beautiful by maggie smith did either of you read it you did Haley, but i did either. yes um what i learned about this one i am not a huge poetry person like reading a whole book of poetry i'll read random poems and so i've read random poems of hers and really really loved the way that she writes um I felt like this book was structured kind of like a poem. The chapters were very short and like some of them were almost little prose poems by themselves. The way that she chose to put this book together really mirrored the experience that she was writing about, which was the upending of her marriage and then the subsequent upending of her life with the divorce and then the way she puts it back together. I'd never seen anybody. I've seen lots of people write about divorce. We're going to talk about another book in a few minutes that Joe and I both loved that is about um, ending of a marriage but I've never seen anybody write about it exactly like this and with the kind of lyrical language that she uses I felt it was really weird to be like oh wow I'm reading about her life falling apart and it's so gorgeous but that's how I felt <laughs> every every new page that I was reading um, I checked it out from the library but I really want to get a copy of this one so I can read it again and just like mark it up because it was beautiful and the cover is so pretty oh, it was so also pretty. like it, she had like enough distance from when that happened in her life that it felt equally like very present, but also very reflective. I thought yes. it was like, she was so, she was so vulnerable, but also mature about what had happened. And I appreciated that. And she wrote about motherhood so beautifully too. Like yes. um, her poetry about motherhood is really, really beautiful. So yes, mm-hmm. I liked that one a lot. So, so while we're talking about uh, tributes to people's lives falling apart, I've got one of the weirder books that uh, stumbled my way yet again. It seems like it's the weird ones that stick. Um, And this was a book that I had wanted to read for decades, but it just came out in 2023. And there's a long, long story. Biography of a Phantom, a Robert Johnson blues odyssey by Mac McCormick. Mac McCormick is one of these crazy guys who tracked down, you know, the last people who could remember Robert Johnson, but he also went crazy himself. This book had been in the works for 50 years. And the only way it ever eventually came out is early in the 2020s, Mac McCormick died and his daughter gave the manuscript to the Smithsonian and they made it come out. But it's fascinating. The idea of being a guy out there in the 60s and the 70s going down in Mississippi, trying to find traces of this guy who already then was a rumor attached to a mystery, attached to a myth. And I mean, he found his son. He found his sister. 
The best part of the book, though, is a scene where he's gone to a town where Johnson lived and he gets 20, 30 of these people together and he plays them Robert's records. And they're sitting there listening and being like, yeah, I remember that one. And, and just the way he talks about it, you're like, man, this is the sort of thing that was both brilliant and probably would drive you crazy. And I get why this book took 50 years to appear. So it was weird. It was totally worth it. Uh, you know, again, if, if, if you like the, the craziness of the blues, this is one of those stories and then some. And you wow. definitely do. <laughs> I will never well, forget you making me drive all around every crossroad in the vicinity of Clarksdale, Mississippi. <laughs> well, you have to find the one where he supposedly sold his soul to the devil, which I think we did, but who knows. Oh, that sounds like the the publishing of the book itself could be its own book. Yeah, yeah, totally That's could so have. Okay, my my second nonfiction book, I, I think I talked about this the last time I was on the show. It's called We Were Once a Family by Roxana mm. Asgarian. It is a nonfiction book about um, a family of uh, two women who adopted, I believe it was four or maybe five black children from Texas. They were living in, on the West Coast and they drove their whole family off a cliff Um I think this was in 2018 and the journalist really digs into the, what led these children to be in foster care. Um, she interviews the birth families and tells their story. And it is just a brutal look at the foster care system in the United States. It is heartbreaking. It is challenging. It's, it's also only like 300 pages, maybe a little under 300 pages. Um, and it just, it just really did a number on me. Um, and it's a story that we don't hear a lot about and just how, how much work needs to be done, um, to take care of kids in the United States. So, it was very eye-opening, um, but I would recommend it. We we were once a family. That's what it was called. Sounds powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one is definitely not like that. It's Jane and Edward, a modern reimagining of Jane Eyre. So I'm a huge Jane Eyre Aww. fan. I get why people aren't. But I have been since I was a freshman in high school, and I picked it off the shelf. Um, lots of retellings are terrible. But this one was not, and it was so good. And she took the parts of Jane Eyre that don't really translate well into modern sensibility and updated them in a way that made sense to the original story and also still was just really well written. So I just thought it was fun enough and good enough that I she's got another book coming out in the spring. It's another retelling of Austin this time. I am going to get it. So. <laughs> there you go well it, the uh fun read is never a bad read and again i said earlier i read a lot of sports books my one true return to form on this uh the grandest stage a history of the world series by tyler kepner uh who was the baseball writer for the new york times back when the new york times still covered sports but uh that's another story for another day but he, this was his second book his first one was kind of a bigger splash but it was fine. It didn't really move me. I love the World Series book in part because he did a fun thing at the end where he ranked every World Series. And, you know, the nerd within me is like, oh, yeah, that's that's really the third best one. And that one's really the 22nd one. So uh, the, the 2016 Cubs, I will report, were very high on the on the list. That World Series was. They should have been. 
I think it was somewhere in his been. top five. So, you know, he, he, if he was in any danger with me, he was safe after that chapter. But it, <laughs> it was a fun, easy to read look at a lot of different facets. He talked about random journeyman players who had, you know, great moments in the world series and about managers in the world series and, you know, just a lot of looks at parts of it that I never really thought about. I have not kept up on the Cubs and I just wish we could go back to the 2016 days where Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant were leading, leading the team. So we all do. I'm going to pull one out right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My next one is called my last innocent year and it's by Daisy Florin. It is set on a college campus in New England, and it's about a student who has an affair with her professor. Is it an affair? Like, it explores the power dynamics between, like, that take place in an academic setting. It's like a coming-of-age story. She is also, um, her mother had passed away several years before, and so there's a, she has a relationship with her dad who owns uh, a restaurant in New York city. And it was just a really beautiful portrait of like a college life. And there was like interesting writing about her financial stress and like taking, like taking out loans and repaying loans. And I don't think I've ever really read. It sounds like very boring and like, why would anyone write about loans? But um, she just, the author, I feel like did it in a way that was very relatable and, you know, kind of realistic. Um, I think I'm making it sound drier than it was, but I I enjoyed it. It was called my last innocent year. Um, I, when I was compiling all of the covers, I noticed that several of them have like the back of a woman's head or like the side of her head. And this one is one of those. Um, the Rachel incident was the other one. It's like, so I don't know what that's about, but anyways, (laughs) book covers this year. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was a good one. My next one is How to Stay Married, the most insane love story ever told by Harrison Scott Key. And I know it's on your list, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you read anything by him? Haley? I I listened to that. I listened not to the whole thing because I didn't finish it before the library. It returned to the library from my Libby app. Happened. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So I didn't happened. finish it. <laughs> I just love him. I've been a fan of his for years. Um, I think his books are super funny. Um, this one, though, uh, you and I, Joe, talked about it at great length on here. Oh, we spent a lot of time on this book. Um, just the absolute grace and forgiveness that it takes to keep marriage going. And the question that runs through this book about when do you actually call it quits? Because there is a time sometimes to call it quits. Um And that was kind of what he and his wife explored in this book as their marriage fell apart and they came back together and then fell apart again. The way he was able to write about the feelings that he had and, um, and the way that he gave her a voice in the story at the very end of it, I thought was really, really interesting and powerful as well. Um, This is another book that we got from the library and then I bought another copy and I'll be rereading it this year just because I feel like they're, I read it so fast. I feel like there would be a lot of things that I missed, but I just thought it was wonderful all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it on my list, you know, great, great uh, relationship book. And I will throw in a plug. I was looking at the shelf to see the title. The world's largest man was his book about him and his father. And 
I think how to stay married is probably a little bit better, but it's also a little bit harder to read because the world's largest man is also absolutely brilliant. Uh, if you've ever, it gets that dynamic between a father who's a good man and a son who just sometimes doesn't understand him. And he doesn't, the father doesn't really understand the son, but they're both good men. They're just different men. And when I read that, I was at a point where I felt like that kind of applied to me in, in some ways. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's pretty powerful, but it's, it's pretty funny too. So, you know, that's, that's one thing I'll say for him. I was so pleasantly surprised at how many people this book reached, like, you know, because he's a Christian, it didn't just stay in Christian circles. It like made its way into all of the like literary landscape. And I'm sure he was like, wow, of course, this is the book that's going to put me on the map. I feel like maybe he said something about that in the prologue or maybe in just like an interview that I heard of him. But um, I definitely need to go back and finish listening to that. Well, and in all of his books, he talks about his Christianity, but he's also a Christian who has no problem with swearing and being really, really irreverent. So the Mm -hmm. faith aspect came out more strongly in this book than in the others because Mm -hmm. he needed it more in this one. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, I have two more. These are my top two. I can confidently say these are my top two, even though I didn't (laughs) quite organize the other ones. So... We Must Not Think of Ourselves is the other World War II book that I was talking about. And I hesitate to call it a World War II book because it really only takes place in the Warsaw ghetto in Poland. And it is just the story of the people there and how they were forced to be there, um, how they try to continue some sort of normalcy in their lives, um, their living quarters. It is based on um, the author's family stories. And she went to Poland and did a lot of research. She, the author, is Jewish. And I just thought it was a beautiful illustration of, you know, one Jewish experience during World War II. The main character is a teacher. And he teaches, he tries to continue teaching during the war. Um, And it just was very uh, like specific about the experiences of the people who went through that. And I loved it. It was a Jenna Bush Hager pick for the month of December. Um, It has a really pretty cover and I just wasn't expecting it. And I loved it and would highly recommend it. These are the best books, the ones that you weren't expecting. Take you totally by surprise like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, historical fiction. I don't usually I don't usually read a lot of historical fiction, but this one was it it almost is comparable to all the light we cannot see. Like it was oh, wow. it was that level of, you know, like I think I said this before, elevated, like elevated World War II stories. So High praise, high praise. Yeah, you read my mind. That was exactly what I was going to ask you. It was going to be like, sounds like that. But yeah, exactly. Yes, that is. It wasn't, it didn't have quite as intricate of a plot. Um, It was more of a, of a simple story because it all just took place in, in Warsaw. Um, But yeah, I loved it. If you loved all that we cannot see, I would recommend checking that one out. Excellent. 
Um, I had Somebody's Fool by Richard Russo, which is the third in this trilogy. Um, we talked about a couple of them on the podcast this year. I think we reread the second one, getting ready for this third one to come out. I have loved all of his books. They would not all have been top books of my year, though. Um, and this one, I think, was just really special, partly because his books don't usually follow characters through a series. They're usually one and done mm-hmm. kind of situations. Um, and because these characters themselves were just so special. I didn't think that when I read the first one. I read the first book and I was kind of like, huh, not his best. And then I read the second one when it came out and I was like, I'm going to go back to this first one. And I think it is because what you, you and I have talked about, Joe, so many times with him, the maturing of his writing and also the maturing of his characters. So when they first wrote this, the beginning of the series, Sully was young and he was dumb and he made a bunch of stupid mistakes and he uh, you know he was growing into a good man by the end of it um but you got to kind of watch him go along and and there these characters are older than we are um gosh Sully would have been older than our parents it's not like we're looking at contemporaries here that we're growing old along with but just you don't you don't always get that in fiction to be able to look closely at somebody's entire life, the good and the bad, and and follow them in this particular kind of way. And it's not just Sully, it's this whole town. And that's another thing that I really, really love is like whole town fiction, small town, rural, looking at all the eccentricities of the characters and the weird situations that they get into and the way that when it gets tough, a small town really does pull together usually. And this is no exception. And I just He's a hilarious author. It kind of reminds me in some ways of Harrison Scott Key and that you're going to laugh and cry in the same sentences. And it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous, lyrical. Richard Russo could have been a poet too. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's hard to come back to a series and cap it perfectly. And it's exactly what he did. Uh, yeah, I was like you. When I started the series, I read the first one and thought it was a book. I mean, it, 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 it can't all be great, but uh <laughs> The second one, I was like, no, I think I'm getting something here. And then this one, I was like, yeah, yeah, you knew what you were doing the whole time. Um, So speaking of somebody who knew what they were doing the whole time, this is undoubtedly, you know, 50-year-old blues books. Forget about it. Women's basketball coaches. That's normal compared to the the last book I have to talk about because that the, the Russo was on my list. But I did not expect to be saying this, but. One of my favorite books of the year just fascinated me, captivated me. All My Knotted Up Life, a memoir by Beth Moore. Yeah, (laughs) Beth Moore. I mean, much like Pat Summit, somebody who was just kind of on the periphery of my consciousness. You know, she's a nice Bible study lady. Um, But wow, (laughs) wow. There was so, so, so much more. Uh, she's, She's an excellent writer, obviously. Uh, but but her courage and her honesty in talking about her her childhood, which has some difficult parts in it, and then in talking about you know her her struggles in faith, the way that it, her you know kind of dude where's my church moment of the last few years, um, which which she did with her usual evident grace and honesty and kindness all lumped in together. Uh, so. Uh, by the end of the book, I was like, look, if you want to write another one, I'll read it too. Cause uh, Beth Moore, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, she shot her shot with this one and, and she made it as far as I'm concerned. Hey, you read this one too, right? 
Yes. And I loved it as well. She is such a singular person to have stuck with the SBC as long as she did. She doesn't disclose, you know, any of like the details of what went on behind the scenes and to her credit and her character, she doesn't do that Um, because she loved, she loved the Southern Baptist convention so much. And I feel like her heartbreak over leaving and like that decision really came across. Um, And she also writes beautifully about her marriage and how it's not, Mm -hmm. hasn't, wasn't all a walk in the park. And um, I really, yeah, I think I listened to that one. Because I was like, I have to have Beth Moore read me her own story. I was say she read it herself. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's in a her nice Arcan, in Arkansasian yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and she's such a good writer. I mean, she is such a good writer. It's amazing that she used her gifts to write Bible studies instead of just being a novelist or a memoirist. So yes, I I co-sign that. Well, I was thinking that the reason that Joe and I read this was because I saw that you had read it. I thought I remembered saying to Joe, Haley said this is good. <laughs> We're going to get it. So, And I didn't know what to expect, you know, because because of her Bible study work, like she's not a long form writer. So I would be so interested to know about her writing process, like how long it took her to write it, mm-hmm. um, how she decided what to include and what to leave out. So yeah, I'm glad that made your list. <laughs> okay, is it my turn? This is, is my last one. Okay, it is also a war book. <laughs> um, this one is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. It is about World War One, and it takes place in England. It starts out at a boys' um, boarding school. There are two main characters. And um, they are completely different. They're best friends. And you just follow their relationship throughout the whole book. It, I, I can remember like one of the turning points in the middle of the book was so delightful. I don't want to spoil it. But like to say that a book about war was delightful. It was, it was um, like it didn't shy away from the horribleness of World War One. I. I mean, horribleness horrible and how young all of the soldiers were and just how many of them just died um you know like what happens in war I feel like I'm doing such a bad job of explaining it because I just loved it so much and it just really stuck with me it was funny and I think this is a debut if I'm not mistaken and so I just can't wait to see what this author does next. I think she's fairly young. Um, but yes, I, it is not for the faint of heart because it does have some violence, obviously. Um, but it also has friendship and humor. And there are several scenes of like the soldiers, you know, like the camaraderie, um, between the soldiers and also like loss on the battlefield. It just, Span the the gamut of human emotion, and I it, it was my favorite book that I read last year. So highly oh, recommend that praise. one. Totally sounds like something that you want, Joe. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> and, and it's always interesting to me. I mean, you you did some World War II stuff to the limited extent that I ever learned anything history wise about the 20th century. It tended to center around World War II. World War One is like this afterthought that never gets talked about. I'm, I'm up to Wilson in my biography project now. So 
I'm reading about World War One, so yeah, uh, the timing might be serendipitous there. Maybe I need to grab that one next. Yeah, maybe it'll be on your best of 2024. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my last one was because you've talked about everything else that I had on my list too. So The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Plume, which is not new this year at all. Um, and it's a kind of fantasy story about um, a caseworker who's sent to inspect an orphanage on a far off island with children who have some magical and dangerous powers. And then there's this mysterious man who leads the orphanage himself. Um, I didn't pick it up for a long time, despite the number of people who said how good it was, because I did not think that I really wanted to spend my time reading fantasy. And I have got to stop being prejudiced against this genre because this <laughs> was like, I could not get over it. It was so funny. It was so sweet. It was so tender. Um, it was absolutely nothing like I thought it was going to be. Natalie's got a copy of it in there because I liked it so much. She went and bought a copy. Um, and I think she's going to love it too when she finishes it. Um, just the idea in it that every person is more than what you see on the surface, more than those snap judgments and how we're supposed to treat the people who we encounter in our everyday lives. Um, just the idea again of thinking beyond ourselves. It was, it was more than I even have words for. And, um, it's another one that's on my reread list for the next year, for sure. What a 2023. So now I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put it oh, on gosh. my list. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it, Haley, an, an, an instant favorite. Haley, thanks so much for sharing your recommendations and your list. Uh, always value your, your opinions and your insights. And, and yeah, it's, it's always a good thing when we do one of these, because it sends me off with a handful more books to track down. So just what I needed, Ooh. right? <laughs> Oh, well, same here. Thank you both so much. It's always just such a treat. And yeah, it's just so fun. I am happy to come back anytime or not if you need to, <laughs> I was gonna say, we're need gonna be to, watching to drill your, down your TBR list. <laughs> we're going to be watching your list to see what the three of us can read together again and then come back and talk about it. This is my first this I have not I've graduated from grad school in December and so yes. this is my first non-school semester in two and a half years and I am going to try and read a hundred books this year I've never done that yes. before I bet you and I am like oh gosh that means I have to finish a book every like four <laughs> days so look with those audio books uh, they help they do yes they really do. yes I wish that books just came with the audiobook copy. Like, can we start a petition? Why do you have to buy the book and the audiobook? I don't know. I that mean, it's be probably nice. better for the publishing industry, but I, anyways. The the same people who do vinyl might could get in because I find more and more I buy records mm. and they give you a copy of the CD with it. And I'm always like, oh, okay. that's so nice. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, we need some sort of system like that because mm. I I can I can get a lot through a lot of books if I have like the Kindle version and the audiobook version kind of switch back and forth. So mm -hmm. we will see, but I will keep you both posted and nice. I can't wait to hear what you all are reading. Yeah, thank you. Where where can people follow you again? Let me get your deets out there. I am on Instagram at read anyways, and I have a Substack, but it is um, on pause for the moment. So maybe that will be another, um, 2024 it's also uh read any or it's just anyways the Substack is um and hopefully i will be sending out some newsletters 
in a more regular manner this year now that I have a little bit more bandwidth. So <laughs> yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And it has been so much fun to discuss all of our favorite books. In two weeks or a week and a half now at this point, we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about our first book of the year, which is How to Know a Person by David Brooks. And the subtitle is The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. So I'm a little over halfway through with this one right now, and it is absolutely fascinating. And then I'll give it to you, Joe, when I'm done. And we'll, we'll be back with it in just a few days now, really. Yeah, it's been quick. 2023 was great for us reading. Hope it was for all of you. Feel free to reach out to us, contact us, various places that I never remember. You can find us on email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on X at pbackreaderspod. I love it. If only the head shake that the company that managed to be conveyed into audio somehow. Well, whether, whether you're not tweeting at us or whatever else you're doing, for goodness sakes, keep reading. Take care. Bye.